Good morning, Fellowship High Crest fam, and welcome to another week in the Word. And today we're continuing on with our current sermon series, Citizens and Saints, where we're taking this deep dive into Romans chapters 12 through 15. And today our focal passage is found in the 10th through 12th verses of chapter 14 of Paul's letter that was delivered by Phoebe to these Roman house churches. And um, if, you're, if you're used to being here on campus, then you might have one of those blue Bibles that, that we normally put in the seats. And, and, and it's found on page 683 of those blue Bibles, our focal passages. But if you don't have one of those, that's okay. You can follow along with us in, in your own print or on an online app, whatever you may be using. And we'll be in the New Living Translation reading today. And so you can find that there and you can follow along with us. And I want to get right into it today. If you were to turn to the 14th chapter of Romans there, and then the 10th through 12th verse, this is what you would find it to say. So why do you condemn another believer? Why do you look down on another believer? Remember, we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. For the scriptures say, as surely as I live, says the Lord, every knee will bow to me and every tongue will declare allegiance, praise to God. Each of us, yes, each of us will give a personal account to God. This is God's word. You know, a couple of weeks ago, we had our first uh, presidential debate of the 2020 general election season. And um, most of the reaction to this 90 minute event was pretty consistent. Most of the reaction kind of followed along the lines of at first there was shock and then there was awe. And then there was disgust, kind of like kind of like at Thanksgiving time when you when, when they say the food is ready and you and you walk in and there's this shock and there's this awe. And then after you ate and you overate, there's this disgust at how you feel. And so that's kind of um, where we were at after the first presidential debate. And immediately, you know, I fell asleep because um, in my house, normally I go to sleep when my kids go to sleep because I have three toddlers. Do you? Uh, but um, but seriously, the next day and in the days to follow, you know, I process different portions in different ways. But one of the things that came up as our process was, man, um, that mirror can be a cool, cruel friend at some t- uh, sometimes, right? I mean, what we saw during the debate between those two men is the same amount of disgust that we often think about and if we're bold enough, write about on our social media in regard to our coworkers and our church members and our schoolmates, and our neighbors, and our local leaders, and even sadder, our families. You know, uh, but you might say, well, yeah, Jonathan, I, I, I might think those things, but I don't, I don't say them on television, or, or I, I might not even write them on social media. But here's what Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount when it came to that. He said, you have heard the commandment that says you must not commit adultery, but I say anyone who looks at a woman with lust has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Jesus says that we're not just accountable for what we say or do, but we're also accountable for our thoughts and our heart attitudes. 
The Romans lived in the shame-based culture with very little privacy, and and therefore everything you did fell under the scrutiny of those around you. So we're not the first culture to feel like we're living in a fishbowl. And although we may try to blame it on social media and they may try to blame it on thin walls, Paul says there is another issue at hand that is causing them um, to choose uniformity over unity and cause a lack of unity within their body. And so Paul uses verses 10 through 12 to share another nugget of wisdom on how they can reverse that and start to choose unity over uniformity. Have you ever been out in public and and you had to use the restroom and you go to the restroom and you leave out of the restroom and, and then you happen to walk past some mirror in this place where you're at a restaurant or a building and you see that you have toilet paper stuck to your shoe? Me neither. And so, um, but (laughs) that is what I felt like happened to us uh, a couple of weeks ago. I feel like God held up a mirror and and we saw something that we didn't expect. We saw something that we that we didn't like. And and we hoped that we were looking into a funhouse mirror, but we we won. And and so uh, what was it um, that was so shocking? We saw two of our highest leaders show very little respect for one another and look down on one another. Paul opened our focal passage for today by asking two questions. Why do you condemn another believer? And why do you look down on another believer? So one, I I need to remind us that that both of the men on that stage that night were believers. They're believers. So let's take a look at the two questions that Paul asked at the beginning of our focal passage. In the first question, we, we have the word condemn or in some translations, um, past judgment. It means to form a, 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 a critical opinion by examination or scrutiny. And then in the second question, we have the phrase look down on or despise, depending on what translation you're looking at. And it means to treat someone as if they are completely worthless. But both of those verbs are in the present tense. And, and if you may remember, we discussed this before in the Greek, the way that the present tense functions is, it it says it shows an action that begins with no insight um, in mind. And so we can't lose the fact that Paul is talking about how they're discussing disputable matters. And so does this sound familiar? So Paul said that the Roman believers were letting their differences of, of opinion on disputable matters cause them to choose uniformity over unity. And it showed by the way that they continually criticize one another. It showed by the way that they continually look down on each other. How could a Christian ever vote Democrat? How could a Christian ever support Donald Trump? How could a Christian ever be pro-choice? How could a Christian Christian, look at immigration the way that Republicans do. Uh, If you really wanted to protect your kids, then you would homeschool them. If you really wanted your kids not to abandon God, then you would send them to a Christian college. I have heard all of these things. And can you imagine how they sounded to other Christians who had made those choices as their brothers and sisters in Christ said them? What the Roman believers had slipped into and what we saw on display during the debate And what our social media is revealing about us is the sin of judgmentalism. And the reason that that this sin goes unchecked so often in the church is because it is committed under the excuse of being passionate for what is right. You know, uh, I like to cook. And so recently somebody gave me a pork loin and pork loin is notorious about drying out 
um, in the cooking process. So what I did is I, I you know, I, I split this thing open and I seasoned it and then I sous vide it overnight. And then I took it out of the sous vide and I patted it dry and I stuffed it with smoked cheese and hard salami. And then I wrapped it in bacon and smoked it and glazed it all to make it go down a little bit easier, to make it palatable and taste good. And you know, often that's what we do to our sin. We, we find flowery words in order to, to, to judge others. And then we let it bathe in our secret chats and our text groups. And then we stuff them full of what we call passion. We just passionate people. And then we wrap them. We wrap them in. Um, I'm just trying to stand up for what is right. But no matter how good we make it taste, it's still sin. The sin of judgmentalism is still sin. And, and we have to start to look at. What we're doing and the trouble with judgmentalism is we begin to equate our opinions with God's word. And if you're liberal and you say that conservatives are are intolerant, uncompassionate rule makers, then you become guilty of the same thing as you continuously form critical opinions of them. And if you're conservative and you say that you can never vote Democrat because they don't value life, then you're doing the same thing as you look down on them. And in both cases, we become guilty of judgmentalism. And we often say it is okay because we do it under the banner of we're standing up for what is right. And the problem is not saying that things are wrong. The problem is equating our opinions with Scripture. The scripture never tells us that caring for the poor means providing universal health care. And they also don't tell us that in order to value life, that we have to overturn Roe versus Wade. Now, it's OK for you to feel strongly about each or both of those things, but it's not OK to use either of them as a litmus test for what it means to be Christian. Can I go further? So, you know, I've heard it said that you can't be Christian and racist. And and so if if that's the case, then what that means is, is Christ's blood is not strong enough to overcome racism. And I just believe that that my God is bigger and stronger than that. And so so do I believe that we should care for the poor? Yes. Do I believe that we should value life in the womb and outside the womb? Yes. Uh, Do I believe that we should value all people no matter what a color their skin is? Yes. And, and you can disagree with me on any or all of those things and still be my brother and sister in Christ um, if you have placed your faith in Jesus Christ. See, what I believe is, is we're going to get the glory and we're not going to see a bunch of people who cheerleaded for our causes um, because they have placed their trust in themselves or a man-made system. And we're all going to see a bunch of people who differ from us on our causes, but they've placed their trust in Jesus Christ. Real life checkup. What convictions have you elevated to biblical truth that are causing you to look down on and condemn those whom Christ died for? What convictions have risen to the point in your life where you have stopped valuing unity and started demanding uniformity? In the days following the debate, um, many people were suggesting how to fix the debate. And some posts even suggested having Judge Mathis moderate the next debate. And, and, and therein lies the real problem with judgmentalism. 
that, that we see, um, we see it in the end of verse 10 and throughout verse 11. And in it, Paul says, remember, we all stand before the judgment seat of God for the scriptures say, as surely as I live, says the Lord, every knee will bow to me and every tongue will declare allegiance, praise to God. So Paul says, remember, God is the judge. Remember, God is the judge. See, when we get down to it, the reason why we should take judgmentalism so serious is that when we look down or condemn our brothers and sisters um, uh, who differ from us on topics, we're saying that God is not good enough at his job. And so we're trying to replace him. We're saying that, God, you're an inept, an incompetent, a bungling judge. So I'm going to fire you and take your place. And And a lot of the time we're asking God to fix it. And God says, I keep trying to, but you keep hardening your your heart. See, we're asking God to change the situation or circumstance and not seeing how he's allowing it to bring about change in us. The subtitle of the book Sacred Marriage is what if God designed marriage to make us holy more than to make us happy? And in the book, he, the author says that God has given us the spouse that he did because they rub perfectly against us like a polishing stone to shape us and smooth us into the image of Christ. And, you know, I don't believe that this is just something that happens in marriage, but I believe that if we don't give up, just like in marriage, right, um, you're going to rub each other raw in marriage. And, but if you don't give up, then you'll both be smoothed into the image of God. And I believe this happens not only in marriage, but I also believe it happens in our church, in our community groups, and with our kids, and with our co-workers, and our classmates, and on our sports teams, that, that in all of our lives, God uses all those different relationships to smooth us into the image of Christ if we don't give up. Now, in our first year together, I, I did a um, sermon series called DTR, Defining the Relationship. And as I preached the sermon on the off quote in Matthew 7, 1 through 5, um, I said this, and, and, and this, this passage, they said, has become the most popular quoted verse or passage in the Bible, even overtaking John three sixteen. And it says this, it says, do not judge others and you will not be judged for for you will be treated as you treat others. The standard you use in judging is the standard by which you will be judged. And why worry about a speck in your friend's eye when you have a log in your own? How can you think of saying to your friend, let me help you get rid of that speck in your eye when you can't see past the log in your own eye? Hypocrite. First, get rid of the log in your own eye, and then you will see well enough to deal with the speck in your friend's eye. You know, so, it, so here's the deal. In that message, one of the things I said is, I said, what Jesus was not saying was that we shouldn't hold our brothers and sisters accountable. That's, that's not what he was saying. What he was saying was this, two things. One, that we should hold them accountable, but we should do so in a way that doesn't condemn or look down on them. And then two, he said that we should open up our lives and and our opinions to the same level of scrutiny and the same level of accountability that we want to apply to other people's lives. And therein lies the conflict. Because oftentimes um, the, the most judgmental people can't take criticism on their own opinions. 
They can't take others examining their stances on differing matters. And, and here's a hint. If you called someone a name or, or said something about the character of another person verbally in writing or in your head because of their difference of opinion on a disputable matter, then you have slipped into judgmentalism. And then by doing so, you have devalued someone made in the image of God. You know, as the Commission on Presidential Debates uh, scrambled in the days after to come up with a format that would yield better results and better rules to get better results, you know, the problem was not the format of the debate, but the format of our hearts. The debate gives us a forum to, to discuss ideas. Our hearts make way for us to be critical of one another. You know, let's be real. We live in a space where it has become secondhand for us to be critical of our church, of our leaders, uh, our spouses, and on and on and on. You know, it, we, we almost have no filter as a society for every negative thought we come up with against anything. And ultimately, that critical spirit is birthed out of a distrust in God. We feel that we have to act as judge because we don't trust God to be just. We don't trust him to be true to his character, and therefore we usurp his authority. Paul finishes our focal passage for this morning with an affirmation. Yes, each of us will give a personal account to God. Everyone will bow in judgment before the Son of God. Christians will do so at the judgment seat of Christ following the rapture. Old Testament saints will do so at the second coming. Unbelievers will do so at the great white throne of judgment after the millennium. But when Christians are judged at the judgment seat of Christ, it will be to determine their faithfulness to the resources and platforms that Christ has given them and how they've used it for his kingdom during their time here on earth. How have you used your time? How have you used your resources? How have you used your talents? Some of you got things that you can do that can be helping the kingdom and you sit on them because of insecurities. You don't believe who he said you are, and yet you criticize everything everyone else does. The judgment that we'll receive will determine our opportunity to serve him in the future. Verse 12 is a summary uh, statement where Paul reemphasizes the personal responsibility of every Christian to give account of him or herself to God. We'll not have to answer for um, our fellow Christians or anyone else, but we'll have to give a personal account to God for how we use what he gave us, how we use each day that he gave us, how we use each talent and our resources that he has given us. And if this is the case, then it should allow us to become less critical of our brothers and sisters on every issue of their lives. And it should allow us to see them and their opinions as redeemable instead of an object of our constant condemnation. You know, we don't like gray issues. And, and, and it makes us uncomfortable to have to live in gray areas. And often we see the worst of us come out when we have to deal in the gray. Because it's difficult for us to accept that one person's opinion can differ from ours and both of us still be accepted by God. 
But but that is what Paul calls us to in Romans 14. And, and if we take Paul seriously and hold to our convictions with humility, it will help us avoid falling into the sneaky sin of judgmentalism. It will allow us to discuss ideals while not looking down on others. It will cause us to see that living in unity means embracing the gray. But doing this is hard and it's unnatural. And if we're honest with it, I mean, we fail at being consistent in it. Getting rid of our critical spirits is not something that we can do on our own. We need something outside of us to act on us in a supernatural way to transform a naturally condemning and criticizing heart into an unnaturally compassionate and graceful one. And a change in heart comes with a change in kingdoms and kings. And we get that change in kingdoms and kings when we do what we call stepping across the line of faith. We step across the line of faith when we accept Christ as our Lord and our Savior. And if you've never taken that step to trust Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, I want to give you the opportunity to do that today. In a second, I'm going to pray a prayer, no special words or special order of words, just a prayer of thanksgiving to a loving, compassionate God that shows grace to those not like him. Now, if you make that decision today, I want to ask you one more thing. I want to ask that, that, that you would consider your first step of obedience. You know, the word of God says that those who believe were baptized. If you step across the line of faith or have in the past and have not been baptized, then let me encourage you to communicate that you've changed kings and kingdoms through the outward show of water baptism. Baptism is not what saves you. It's not what, it's not what secures you in eternity. It's simply an outward show of an inward change that has taken place in your life. It doesn't mean that you have it all together. It doesn't mean that you're perfect, that you don't judge people. It, it, it means that you've recognized that you can't do it on your own and that Jesus Christ came and filled the gap, that he came and did what you couldn't do and that you're putting all your trust, you're placing all your faith in him. That's what it means to step across the line of faith. And if you made that decision and you haven't been baptized, we, we would like to set that up where you could be here next week and we can, we can get that taken care of. We do it the third Sunday of every month and, and, and we have the water set up. We want you to make that step. You can text uh, CONNECT, C-O-N-N-E-C-T, to 785-432-4544. And someone on our team will get back to you and help that take place. Let's pray. Father, it's so easy for us to use flowery words or in chats and, and um, wrap our sin of judgmentalism in 
and then a little spoonful of sugar to make it go down easier. But it's still sin. Still against your will. We're still devaluing those made in your image. Father, help us. Send your Holy Spirit to invade our lives, our tongues, our thoughts, to transform us from the inside out. If there's anyone, Father, who whoever had the right to look down on, to condemn, is you. But instead of casting us off, instead of separating from us, you drew closer. You sent your son as a sacrifice for those who should have received wrath. So, Father, we ask that you would help us to sacrificially put away our opinions to love those around us. That even when we disagree with their opinion, that we can still embrace and love them. And we don't have it in us. We're going to need it from you. In the same way that you sent your son in the form of a helpless babe to live a sinless life, to die on a rugged cross, to be raised from a borrowed tomb. We need you to raise up something in us that softens hearts of stone to become flesh, that give words that bless instead of curse, arms that embrace instead of fists that hit. We praise you. We honor you. We love you. In the power of your spirit, in the name of your son, we pray these things. Amen.